uh, this is the northern part of the Golan Heights. In between is the valley called the Hula Valley. And uh, up to the early 50s, all of this valley used to be underwater. Uh, part of it was a lake, part of it was a swamp, which is a uh, slight different in terms of the soil you have at the bottom of it. When the first Zionists, Jewish Zionists came over back in the 19th century, the main dream was actually to populate the valley. But the valley is underwater, so they started to build, to build communities all along the shore. And of course they suffered from uh, mostly malaria, which is like uh, at the time the most destructive, destructive kind of disease in the area. Uh, in 1929, a professor from the region named Gideon Mir managed to find the vaccine for the local malaria, so actually got rid of malaria in Israel first. I mean, somewhere throughout the 30s. So this was not a problem anymore. But still, I mean, living around that area uh, has been very, very challenging. And uh, at the end of, by the way, just uh, sorry for, uh, for the note, but look to the right-hand side. You can see that hill. This is an artificial hill. It's a tel, T-E-L, which in uh, Hebrew means an artificial hill that is made out of different layers of different civilizations, an archaeological mound. And this is Tel named Chatzor. I guess you uh, remember the city of Chatzor. Uh, Jabin was the king of Chatzor when we speak of the uh, battle in the uh, uh, valley of Jezreel uh, between Deborah and Sisera, who was the, the, the commander of Jabin, the king of Chatzor. Chatzor was actually a major town in the region in biblical times. If we speak of an average town to be about 20 acres in size, Chatzor was about 200 acres. So all of that hill, that's basically the tail of Chatzor, which is, uh, again, it's, it's not very intensively excavated. I mean, some parts have been excavated. Not all of it has been excavated. It will take probably uh, decades to really excavate the whole site. It's priorities. It's a question of priorities. But it's a very, very uh, important biblical mound uh, from, from, from biblical times, the, the Israelites period. So uh, we just drove by it, I wanted to mention it. Uh, going back to, uh, to the valley, so only Israel was born in 1948, very soon after that, uh, the pioneers who lived here decided to dry out this valley. Um, they brought an expert from the Netherlands to check the soil, to tell them how to do, what to do, and he comes up with actually three main conclusions. He said first, uh, the soil of the lake would be okay for agriculture, but not the soil of the swamp, which is uh, actually too dense, and actually there's a gas that would come out. You'd have to keep adding layers of soil because it's very, very uh, thin, and to keep it wet and fertilize it constantly, economically that would not work for you. Second, he said, um, this is like the filter for the water that continues running down to the, uh, to the Sea of Galilee. And uh, therefore, he basically said, and, and third, he said, you know, the tributaries of the Jordan River come from the north, north of the of the valley. Means if you dry it out once, you'll have you'll have to keep draining the water constantly. Otherwise, it's going to get reflooded. And those pioneers were very enthusiastic to develop the land, to rebuild the country, to rebuild, you know, to re uh, flourish the uh, the holy land. They said whatever he said, that's true, maybe, but we our enthusiasm uh, enthusiasm would be actually greater. And they brought floating diggers from the United States at the time. And they started to dig tunnels in order to drain the water to the very south end of it. Eventually, they drained the water towards the Jordan River. And up to today, basically, the water runs the whole way to the Sea of Galilee. By the way, the expert was right. 
the soil of the swamp is not good for agriculture. Farmers had to really put a lot of effort and money and fertilizers and yeah. layers of soil in order to keep it uh, kind of uh, to keep it formed. Um, the water runs today to the Sea of Galilee is not filtered. We need to actually uh, take care of them more carefully. Uh, and we have two main channels to drain the water of the tributaries of the Jordan River along that valley, even though the water is used by the farmers. So it, it doesn't actually get wasted anyway. Uh, so everything was, was said was true, but in spite of all of those challenges and difficulties, look, this is part of the breadbasket of Israel. I mean, every, almost everything can grow here, which is pretty amazing. The soil of the swamp, or the area of the swamp, which is a bit uh, southern of us, uh, in the last 30 years turned back into a bird's sanctuary. So basically they reflooded parts of that area that was not that great for agriculture anyway and developed ecological tourism and uh, a bird sanctuary because Israel sits in a very strategic location in terms of the birds on migration. We're just in between Europe and Africa. So birds actually fly from Africa to Europe for the summertime and in the wintertime back to Africa. Israel is right in between the two major obstacles, the ocean and the desert, or not ocean, but the Mediterranean Sea and the desert. So they stop here for a couple of weeks to get regenerated and uh, to rest a little bit. So the periods of times in between the seasons where we have about 500 million birds flying around the country wow. within like a, a period of a month. So birds watchers from all over the world come over just for that period of time. And when they normally land and kind of have their time, is around this area. There's another area near Eilat, farther south, but this is definitely the center for bird watchers coming from all over the world. Because 500 million birds within a period of like three weeks, you can imagine, you can imagine the, the scenery, but also the damage for the farmers. And that's a constant struggle between farmers and birds. Uh, we have like fitting areas for them, so they would not go to the. To the and the, and, the, and the fishing ponds, they had to put like special kind of nets on top and it's a whole uh, interesting uh, concept, but uh, that's a new or relatively new industry in the valley today. Uh, speaking of of the bread basket, yeah, so, so basically almost everything grows here. You know, we speak of Israel as the land of milk and honey. I don't know why the oil stayed somewhere else. Uh, why not the oil, milk, and honey? But but that's for but that's for a reason as well. You know, when it's still good for the Jewish people, they never get along together. They start to fight. Remember, the second table was destroyed because of a baseless hatred. Economy was too good. People started to actually corrupt, get corrupted. We normally need some crisis in order to bond together and stay united. So oil would have made it too good. Too good is not good. So uh, I guess there was something behind that concept to leave the oil away. Um, but there, the other seven species Israel is, the land of Israel is blessed with. Do you remember the seven species? Remember seven? So wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, dates, and olives. So they're, from the very beginning, indigenous to the land. If you think of what you need in order to live and survive, the seven will actually make it. Hmm. Of course, that would be a good beef. And <laughs> <laughs> so everything actually uh, grows in that area, um, and um, there's something I wanted to say about agriculture. Yeah, so one thing about agriculture, you see this, which is very natural, I mean, to have everything in the north where we have fresh water. Israel, 60% of the country is desert, 
by definition, by the way, the definition of a desert is a place that gets less than 200 millimeters of precipitation every every year, which means less. It's, it's about it's less than two inches basically, or about you know two inches. Um, so 60% of the land is, is is a desert, and why 200 millimeters? Why, why this was chosen to be the definition? That's the minimum you need in order to grow wheat and barley. And in Hebrew, desert is midbar. Midbar, if you take the Old Testament and you speak about where the shepherds used to take the goats or the, the herds for, for, for grazing, the, the word that is actually described is lehadbil etatzon. Lehadbil midbar. You can hear the similarity in the sound. Basically, that's the land where, you, if you come from the desert, if you have your herds, you bring your, your cattle in order to graze. That's the line of having bush and having something growing for the, for the cattle. So even the word lehadfil, to take, to graze, is actually comes from Midbar, which is a desert. So it's not really the literal meaning of a desert. When we go to the extreme desert, this is where you basically barely have anything for your cattle. But that desert is actually what, it's, it's, it's almost like the seam line between the fertile and, and the desert as is, is, is the literal translation of a desert would be. So, Lehadbil et Atzon, to take the cattle to the desert, it's not really the desert, it's really the seam line. 200 millimeters, the line of the 200 millimeters of precipitation. Saying that today, the best agriculture Israel has is in the desert. Below the 200 millimeters, uh, Israel is actually uh, probably the leading country in the world in desert agriculture. We've learned how to irrigate with uh, salty water. We've learned how to grow in salty soil. And therefore the Negev where the soil is a bit saltier and there's lack of fresh water became really heaven for, for farmers. Most of what grows in the Arabah Valley and the Negev goes to export, not even for domestic uh, consumption because that's the best produce we actually have. And uh, on top of it, they're always first in the season because of the heat. So they get the best prices when they send everything to Europe and to the Far East. So uh, that's very interesting to see how technology has really changed everything. And you know, the, the main resource Israel has, on top of everything else, because we don't have a lot of natural resources, is basically human resources, technologies. And, uh, and I think Israel stands for what it is, mostly for that kind of resource, more than anything else. Saying that, in the last 10 years or a bit more maybe, we found of the shores of Haifa in the Mediterranean Sea huge wells of natural gas that really changed the game in a way in the region. Uh, suddenly Israel sells natural gas to our neighbor countries instead of buying oil from the outside, which is, and we completely energetically speaking self-sustained, which is a big revolution for Israel. It doesn't mean prices went down, by the way. <laughs> That it doesn't happen in Israel. Even though it's the promised land, holy land, where miracles happen, this miracle has not happened yet. Um, here you can see the ridge over here to the west. That would be part of the Upper Galilee. The name of this ridge is the ridge of Naphtali. Naphtali, one of the tribes, right? Uh, so that was the plot of Naphtali when the uh, tribes actually shared and divided the land or Joshua shared the land between the tribes. Um, up to today the name remains of so the Naphtali Ridge which is part of the Upper Galilee. 
Uh, not far from the top of this ridge, to the west, we'll reach the Lebanese border. Because, um, I don't know if you realize, but the border in that part is, becomes very, very narrow, in a, almost like a, a finger, the shape of a finger. Um, and again, Golan Heights would be on the other side. Let's see if we can... Up. See that very relatively tall mountain over there? Yeah. Now you cannot see it because of the shopping mall. A biblical one. There it is. See this uh, tall mountain over here? Stands out. This is, if we speak of mountains, maybe the only real mountain in Israel would be this mountain. It's called Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N, also from the Bible. Actually, Mount Hermon would have three different names in the Bible. Hermon, Sion, and Sirion. Three refer to the same mountain, Sion, Sirion, and Hermon. Today we have streams coming down from this mountain with these names. Um, and uh, this is the... Uh, the it, actually, only 7% of it is in Israel. The rest is in mostly Syria and 3% in Lebanon. Um, the elevation of this mountain on the Israeli side is about um, it's uh, a, about 7,000 feet above sea level. And on the Syrian side, about 9,000 feet above sea level. So I'm saying there is the only mountain in the country is this because the second tallest mountain in Israel would be about 3,800 feet above sea level, which is a hill. So we call them mountains because this is what we have, but I mean, in terms of like real elevation, that these are really hills, and the only mountain we can actually talk about is Mount Hermon. Um, we also call it the eyes of the country. We have uh, military installations over there to watch the uh, airspace of the country, uh, and of course the border with Syria. These 7% uh, of Mount Hermon, again, were captured from Syria in 1967 during the Six-Day War. And we have a ski resort on top of that mountain in Israel. So you can actually come from the extreme desert, three hours later you can ski. So take a swim in one of the most beautiful oases in the desert. Take a nice ride on uh, Marcus's uh, motorcycle. And ski on Mount Hermon on the same day. But now it's actually, they, they haven't really got enough snow to open the site this season. They're expecting this week to uh, fill up the uh, Maybe the gap. Yeah, that's, that's I don't know.